Welcome to Two Homes, your podcast about nature, sustainability and self-care. I'm Julia and I talk about love and how we can protect what we love. Today I talked to Ku from Equus Liberation Limited. She's working on a deep energy level with horses. What her accident where she got a brain trauma has to do with all this how she got back into life and how horses helped her with that huge task. We talk about all this. We talk about what we all can learn from horses and how a therapy session looks like, how mantras and positive thoughts can affect your life as well as the people which surround you. We talk about why she prefers the simple life now in comparison to her past city life with drugs and party. We talk about further blends with her business and how she wants to be more sustainable. Join in and find out. Cool. Welcome to my podcast, Two Homes. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Um, I'm really happy that I, I could do this with you. Yeah, it's amazing. We're sitting right now in your little van and your or bus house actually. Bus. Yeah, your house bus and um it's, it's stunning. It's so cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's like our little hippie retreat. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, um we're starting with a little breathing exercise just to fully arrive in this moment and to release everything no longer serves us. So, To all our listeners, if you can, close your eyes. Listen to your surrounding. And then focus on your breathing. Take a deep breath in and out. Let everything go what no longer serves you. Breathe in and breathe out. One more time, breathe in deeply, hold and breathe out. And then let your breathing flow naturally again. Give yourself a little smile that you took the time to reconnect to yourself. And if you're ready, open your eyes. Welcome back. Thank you. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So the podcast is called Two Homes. And my first question to all of my interview guests is, what does home mean to you? What does home mean to me? Wow, that's, that's a, it's kind of a deep one for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, Home to me is uh, somewhere where I feel safe, I think is probably like the, the top 
thing for me is somewhere where I feel safe so it doesn't have to particularly be a structure or a house mm. or a bus for mm. that matter um, like right now if I could describe home um, in a few words it would be Ruben my partner he's home for me and um, and my horse Moo my uh, my therapy animal, Moo, um, she's definitely home for me. And I think Denver would be jealous for me saying that. <laughs> it's my other horse. <laughs> but um, Moo, Moo brings this sense of, of calm and safety when you're around her. So she's, she's like coming home every time I see her. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So Koo, that's your name. Yeah. That's how everyone calls you. But who is Koo? <laughs> more about you what you do and how did you got there uh so um i'm a freelance equine consultant i guess is probably the easiest way for me to describe it what that means is that i um work with uh, different people and different horses um on different levels i um i help people reconnect with their own horses after maybe a traumatic experience mm or I help them find new horses after the loss of an old, or I um, take on horses that, that nobody wants or nobody has the time to care for, and I help rehabilitate them and potentially rehome them. Um, if I can't rehome them, then uh, my goal is for them to live out their lives happily with me mm. on, um, on, on the property that I'm I'm really so lucky to even be allowed to have my horses on <laughs> in the first place um, so yeah I uh, I work from home and I dream of having uh, a dog and a few more horses in the future and a happy life but uh, in general I just try to be a better person than I was yesterday so You took us today to the horses too, and that was quite impressive. So um, you work quite on a deep energy level with them. When did you discover this connection to horses for yourself? So I, uh, I grew up with horses, um, and uh, yeah, my, my history with horses was, was quite shallow in the beginning, you know? I had um, very selfish expectations mm -hmm. of my horses it was do what I do do what I want or otherwise mm -hmm. <laughs> things won't go so well mm -hmm. you know and um, I was very temperamental I blamed my horses for a lot of the things that happened mm -hmm. and then um, then I lost my horse uh, Minty at 15 and she um, she was probably the deepest connection I've ever had to an animal And losing her was really hard for me, I guess, because um, I was only 15 at the time. And my parents um, allowed me the opportunity um, to be autonomous as a teenager and not make the decision for me. And they asked me if I wanted to make the decision myself. So I chose, rather than spending $16,000 putting my horse through a surgery that she may not survive, and a six-month recovery that she most likely wouldn't survive, um, to then, after all that, um, not be able to compete and do what she loved. 
and what what she was born to do, what she was bred to do, and what she was trained to do. Mm. And um, so I decided, you know, we had the money, but um, why would I put my horse through that much, mm. like torture, to then come out on the other side without any guarantees whatsoever? It seemed fairer to to let her go and be at peace, mm. rather than hold on to her for selfish reasons. So. Um, I got to make that decision myself and that was probably the beginning of my my deep connection with horses. Yeah. So you told us about your accident. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so about eight years ago now, um, I was traveling in Canada, um, British Columbia, and uh, I was having fun snowboarding and, and all sorts and we were planning for an epic summer, spring to, to come along the second year that I was there and we were really excited about it. Um, it was May the 20th. I only remember the date nowadays. Um, all the details um, of the accident itself uh, have been told to me. I don't know the details of the accident firsthand. Mm. I know them second and third hand um, because I have no memory of the accident. I was out skating um, with my dog and then um, I got back and they'd finished building the bike and so uh, they asked me if I wanted to have a, a quick hoon on the bike because they'd been riding it around just outside our house and I was like yeah absolutely just way too elated and too excited and jumped on the bike and um, our flatmate Jason was wearing the helmet that um, I should have been wearing and he, he got a phone call and um, put the phone in between his ear and his helmet and, and walked away. And I must have at the time thought, oh, you know, I'm just driving up here and then turning around and coming back. It's like 200 meters, nothing's going to happen. I, when I turn around coming back, I look down at my Speedo. That is one of the few things that I remember was seeing the Speedo and seeing it at 60 kilometers per hour. And I was like, oh, I'm going a bit fast. Mm. And then right after that moment, I have no recollection, but from what Matt told me, um, I hit three potholes in the asphalt and I bounced over the first two, but the second one kind of launched me up in the air and then stuck me straight into the third pothole. The forks on the bike twisted around each other and the whole bike just cartwheeled off mm -hmm. and I went straight head first into the asphalt and um, and like dummy rolled mm -hmm. out of um, the accident and I was in such shock. They said that I stood up and went over to the bike and started trying to pick up the bike mm -hmm. and restart the bike to bring it back to them. And the, the bike was wrecked, there was mm -hmm. no saving it. Um, I said to them that I was fine and then he said but what about your head and I touched my head and there was just blood like a tap running down my elbow and I'd um, split my skull open on the left hand side I had um, 26 stitches to uh, sew that up and um, I had road rash and gravel rash from my elbow to my knee on my left hand side so deep in my hip that they um, they had to like cut it out of my hip and they put skin grafts back over my hip 
and um, I have no scarring there, which is quite surprising. I highly recommend organic rosehip oil <laughs> for scarring. Mm-hmm. It works a treat if you get onto it quick. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, um, I think I came out pretty, pretty well unscathed apart from the head injury. Mm-hmm. And um, I suffered severe brain trauma and it took two years to recover from that. Um, when my family first got the phone call I, I do remember the phone call <laughs> because they called called my mom and she didn't answer because my mom's like the person you call when something goes down. And so the boys called my mom and I was sitting there because I can't couldn't operate any mm. um, anything, you know. Mm. So they, they they I was sitting there and then mom didn't answer, so they tried calling dad. Dad answered, and. Um, Matt said to my dad, hi, Eddie, this is Matt, Koo's boyfriend. And he went, oh, oh yeah, what's happened? Hmm. Uh, he knows that he doesn't get that kind of phone call. So <laughs> what's happened? And he went, well, um, Koo's had a bit of an accident. Um, she's, she's crashed a motorcycle and, and um, the doctors seem to think she has brain trauma. But... Uh, they, I didn't have any insurance at the time while I was over mm. there. So for me to even get a CAT scan or an MRI would have cost over a hundred grand. It cost me a, like $1,200 just to get seen, like not even to mm-hmm. like enter the hospital, you know, I had to actually pay that first before I could even mm-hmm. physically enter the hospital and be treated. And this is somebody bleeding out their brain. So mm. it was, it was quite, quite an interesting to hear like later on down the track when I could contemplate all this stuff um, that that had happened, that it had gone down like that. And um, yeah, so my dad just kind of went, what? Oh, fuck. And he just broke down into tears and went, speak to her mother and just handed the phone over to my mom. And my mom was just like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And then that's the last thing I remember. I just Mm -hmm. remember my dad breaking down into tears over the phone and going speak to her mother Mm -hmm. because he couldn't cope. Mm -hmm. Like that was too traumatizing for him because he he never wanted any of us on motorbikes. Like Mm -hmm. we're his girls, you know? So he definitely didn't want any of his girls on motorbikes and um, and now he's got one that's had brain trauma from one and another that has a, a street bike that's insane. But um, say lovey, <laughs> we're all adults now. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it was a long recovery and um, a long rehabilitation. And it got harder and harder when I got back to um, New Zealand. Um, so what happened then when you got back to New Zealand? Oh, when I got back, it was just so hard to even recognize my family. And they didn't recognize me, of course, because I was so different. You know, I was traumatized, I guess. So I just I was a shell of a person to them. And um, and I, could, I didn't recognize any of their faces. And um, I couldn't tell them that. I don't think I've ever told them that, mm. that I um, that I couldn't recognize them. I just tried to play it cool, like I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, we started the rehab programs um, through ACC and uh, it just got worse. Um, 
I started having like seizure-like activity and um, episodes of rage and melancholy and just um, hysteria. I remember my parents coming home one day and they found me in my own closet just rocking back and forth and they couldn't for some reason get out why I was sitting in my own closet rocking back and forth and um, it was it was apparently because my ex hadn't called to send me a video or a picture of my dog and and that was set me off instant trigger right there you know I just started panicking and then it was like like this was the worst thing that was going to mm. ever happen to me in my life. Obviously not, but still, mm. like um, mm. at the time, it felt like that. I felt suffocated. I felt um, useless. I felt out of control because nothing made sense. And um, yeah, the the rehab just got worse and worse. I just I'd take one step forward. I'd take mm. three steps back. Mm. And it became really, really hard to even function properly or normally. So I stopped sleeping and um, I was reading like a book a day because I was just trying to lull myself to sleep, but I wasn't going to sleep. In fact, I was actually making it worse by reading. Mm. And then um, my mom heard about equine therapy and uh, she took us to a class that was recommended to her, this equine therapy session. It was like a group session. Um, And uh, we went out there and basically all they did was walk around with the horses and brush the horses and spend time with the horses and then listen to you. That, That was basically it and my mom turned around after the session went that was a lot of money for not a lot of (laughs) anything really but um how do you feel and I went I feel amazing like I started yawning right after the session I wanted to like go to sleep I even fell asleep on the car on the way home Mm -hmm. and like I hadn't slept at that point I think for five days Wow. Yeah, for five straight days. I was starting to go through like the neurological system symptoms of when you're sleep deprived and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, messing with me quite a bit. So, yeah, I I had the best sleep of my life after that session. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was um, amazing because it really resonated with me. And my mom was like, well, I'm not going back to pay that much money, but it's obviously working for you. So why don't we just work with the horses down at Avril's? Mm -hmm. And Avril Simmons was the person that lent my mom money to get me back into the country Mm -hmm. when I had the accident. Um, So yeah, she was a very close um, family friend and she had a few horses on her property. Um, at the time when I first started working with them, um, you know, I was just, my mom stuck a helmet on me, stuck some wrist brace on me in case I fell, stuck a, uh, what do you call them, you know, the, the foam yeah, neck yeah, braces yeah. that your chiropractor or something mm-hmm. or your doctor gives you when you've thinged your neck. She put one of those on, again, just in case I fell. And, um, and I just started hanging out with the horses, leading them around, brushing them, feeding them, taking responsibility for them. My mom would drop me out there almost every day and um, and pick me up in the um, evenings when she came out after work to ride her own horse that was on the property. It kind of, it got, 
it got better and better as as time went on the more more time I spent with the horses the more coordination I gained mm. um, my speech came back um, that was one of the major si side effects or symptoms that I had from the brain trauma as I lost my speech mm. and um, that slowly came back from a stutter to like full sentences to being able to contemplate mm. like abstract thoughts and things like that so it was it was really amazing um, my sleep improved massively started sleeping like eight hours a night instead of not sleeping for five days mm. and then sleeping 18 hours straight because I was too exhausted yeah. you know and um, yeah it became better and better and then um, there was this pony that was on the property uh, Avril had bought her for her granddaughter but the granddaughter didn't want the horse mm. so the horse was going to waste in the paddock and she was a perfectly good pony mm. and she was the right size for me she was only like 14 two hands and um, so she was a nice safe size for me to relearn how to ride and gain a little bit more coordination so my mother had to reteach me how to ride <laughs> and um, she was teaching me how to canter properly again under control with the horse. But there were a bunch of people on the outside of the ring, pony club mothers, judgy <laughs> people, you know, people who were just kind of like, what is this woman doing with her daughter in her early 20s? Because they didn't, obviously didn't know that I had a brain injury or anything like that. And um, I'm trotting and I'm trying to kick the horse into canter and I just can't get it. My mom said, Coo, what? Look, just, just like this. You need hands of a lady, posture of a queen, and the hips of a whore. And I went, what? And you just like hear like the gasps from the mothers because they had obviously heard her clearly. And I came back around and I went, what did you just say? And she said, it's like a good fuck, honey. And I went, Oh, loosen my hips. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. As soon as she said that, I just straight away it clicked. My brain made the connection and the horse went straight into canter and we were off. And I was like, oh my God. And she was like, go around and try the jump. And I like came around and I jumped over this little 50 centimeter jump. But for me, that was an mm -hmm. epic accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And her and I were both crying and laughing <laughs> when I got off the horse. And people were looking at us like we were nuts. Like, is this her <laughs> first time ever riding? Type of thing and um, but for us it was a huge accomplishment yeah. for yeah. me to be able to do that so um, that was amazing and uh, yeah after that I was kind of sold I was like I, I really want to I really want to get back into riding horses mum she goes well you can come out here and ride the pony as as much as you like and consider that your equine therapy mm -hmm. but because I really enjoyed the equine therapy class it, it kind of led me to where I am now with both my therapy animals and uh, yeah the the journey that I've that I've kind of taken with them all stemmed from that experience mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. because I decided that that was where I wanted to be yeah so um, tell us more about the whole therapy you do now so it's very alternative um, we are best known for our holistic approach to horses mm -hmm. and horse health care that meaning that we we don't we don't abide by traditional standards you know and um, we try to do everything that's more n natural for the horses 
and um, make it easier for them rather than easier for us. Mm. So the type of therapy we do is called vibration connection therapy or um, a lot of people refer to it as liberty. And that is basically um, on a, a deep level with the animal you have to be able to connect to be able to trust and for them to be able to trust you to, to go where you need them to go to do what you need them to do. Um, this means that your, your main, um, I guess, object of what you're trying to do or, or um, you know, the, the process of what you're trying to do with horses is generally it comes down to control. And that's what that's what most riders want. They want to be able to control their horse. They want to feel in control all the time. And um, we have the opposite of that. Uh, we don't try and control our horses. And we try and give our horses as much autonomy as possible so that they can choose to be with us on their own terms as conscious beings. And um, we believe that about them. We believe that they have conscious thought. We know that they have... A, a huge social hierarchy as animals, just like um, most pack animals do, like um, wolves and orca and dolphins and things like that. They have an incredible amount of social intelligence, um, so much so that they can create their own hierarchy within the um, herd. And so you've got your most important parts of the herd and your least important parts of the herd. And the newest members tend to be the least important parts of the herd. But without them, the herd can't function. Mm. If you don't have those, they can't function. They're basically the back and bone of the herd, mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. a dishwasher would be the back and bone of a hospitality industry yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we try to connect more deeply with our horses and, and, and try to give them the chance to, to be with us rather than force them to be with us so there's no ropes involved when we first start connecting with our horses mm -hmm. and um we do it out in a rather large paddock as you saw yeah <laughs> there was no good. yeah there was no um mm -hmm. no arena or yard or or um round pen or anything like that it's a um i think 10 hectare property mm -hmm. that we were on uh, it's pretty large and there's 15 bull in there and 25 deer mm. in there and and uh, the bulls are pretty young but they're 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 lovely they they don't they don't <laughs> seem to bother us too much in fact they're more curious about what we're doing than anything else i think they can feel the energy mm. when we're down there when we're working together i know the horses feel the energy because mm. they can feel the difference between when i have clients and when it's just me coming out to feed them because okay. they're far more responsive when i have clients Denver is a double dilute Cremello stallion with bright blue diamond eyes. Mm. And um, yeah, he's, he's quite an intense horse. He has a lot of energy to share and to, to expel in general. Um, but he's a great teaching horse. He works really well with kids. Um, his, his main focus in general is to, to teach kids how to be appropriate mm. around him. And when, when they're not, he can show it quite expressively um, without being dangerous, mm -hmm. you know. He shows it in his face and his ears and his head. He raises his head up and looks at them funny when they act silly and stuff like that. Or he'll just lower his head and be calm and blink and almost look like he's falling asleep mm -hmm. when they're being good. So 
we describe this to our students when they come in and we work with all ages but a lot of the people I work with are kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah we, we describe this and to them um, in the beginning and we describe it in, in utter detail on mm -hmm. how they're supposed to act and be around the horses mm -hmm. um, today I wanted you guys to just kind of experience it and yeah. feel their energy and feel what they like. Yeah, and you definitely can feel it. It's, oh, it's crazy. It's it's palpable. Yeah. Like you could cut the the tension with a yeah. knife sometimes yeah. out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they and their presence is like audible. Like I can hear it when they're near me, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. And yeah, yeah. it's it's quite amazing um, to to watch them develop as a herd because they're all strangers mm -hmm. uh, they've all come from different places and come together and created this really cohesive unit of horses that are willing to work together and um and and want to communicate clearly at, mm -hmm. and so i just try to act like a horse so what do you think what can we learn from horses uh compassion would be number one the, the amount of compassion a horse has is incredible in the wild when you watch horses um and and they have a disagreement in the herd mm -hmm. so the lead mare the most important member of the herd um so to speak the lead mare um she tells another horse off right she goes over there just like we saw moo doing today she and gives him a nip on the butt because he didn't listen yeah. right yeah. and that horse runs off and so on and so forth yeah. um now if we as humans are bit another human on the butt you know probably wouldn't wouldn't have that human come and speak to us again nor would we really want to go and speak to that human again right um, but horses right after they've had an argument with each other will come up to each other within 10 minutes and apologize mm. and they'll they'll be like hey man look I'm sorry I had to tell you off back there but you were just being a little bit silly so um, next time next time but it's okay okay we're fine now we're cool we're cool and it's it's really really nice to see that that they have that kind mm -hmm. of capacity for resilience and compassion and um, being able to understand each other on such a deep level I think the next thing we could learn from horses is their willingness to trust in extreme mm -hmm. situations um, to be able to be in a situation where you feel out of your depth, where you feel anxious, where you feel pressured and stuff like that, it is incredibly hard to perform. And yet our horses do it on a daily basis. And uh, a lot of people think, oh, I, I treat my horse like royalty. I treat my horse like it's the best thing in the world. But you still put a saddle on it and you still put a bridle on it and a piece of metal in its mouth and you still climb up onto its back and you ride it around and make it do things that you want to do, not not exactly particularly what the horse wants to do. And just because it doesn't have the English language to communicate with you, to tell you that um, it doesn't want to do those things, doesn't mean that it's incapable of not wanting to do those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of people seem to think that just because they can't tell us that something hurts or can't tell us that something's uncomfortable or making them anxious, um, it doesn't mean that we should force them into any kind of situation mm -hmm. they don't want to be in. So we could really learn a lot from horses when it comes to trusting mm -hmm. um, something 
or someone that you don't have any experience mm-hmm. with. And to be able to do that as a human, to be able to go balls to the walls confident and, and just walk into somebody's household and say, hey, my name's Ku and can I please ride on your property or keep my horses there? Like that's what I've learned from horses. Mm-hmm. Like you take me at face value and, um, and if it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm not gonna hold a grudge mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, but I learned that from horses. I learned that, you know, without, mm-hmm. without speaking up, without actually, putting myself out there I'm not really achieving anything mm-hmm. where I know horse kind of does the same thing you know they 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 can feel that pressure and they can feel how hard a situation is and and stuff like that and yet they'll still give you everything they'll still hand over mm-hmm. all control to you as the leader as the human if if you're going to be a leader if you're going to be a real leader mm-hmm. with a horse then they'll, they'll give it to you they'll give you everything they've got but if you can't be a real leader and, and you can't show them compassion and resilience and, and a willingness to trust, mm-hmm. then you end up with horses with bad behavior and, and what we call bad horses or, or dangerous horses and mm-hmm. things like that because they never learn how to trust and no one ever taught them. And um, horses in the wild, they learn it from day one. Mm-hmm. It's instant for them. Whereas like, we've domesticated them for years. Mm-hmm thousands of years so um, everything we do to horses now uh, it's our responsibility to make sure that they have better lives because Mm -hmm. of us not in spite of us Mm -hmm. so how can we match and how does a session you do with a client look like so um, each session tends to be different Mm -hmm. Uh, it it really does come down to the individual themselves and what they're hoping to gain from the experience Mm -hmm. so the the first session is always a consultation it's always free because it's a chance for me to uh, present to the client a different way of approaching a horse than maybe what then normally Mm -hmm used to or what they've been told they're supposed to do by uh, other trainers and things like that. Um, And they tend to learn pretty quickly um, throughout the experience how different it is. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I get get asked often, is is it too dangerous to walk behind a horse? And it's like, Mm -hmm. most horses, yeah. Mm -hmm. These horses, no. And they always go, why? And then I go lie underneath my stallion and say, because this is his job and that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they all kind of come out differently. I have kids that come in with severe PTSD, are terrified of the world, scared of animals, don't want to even approach the horses mm-hmm. or touch them. They're clinging to mum's leg, hiding from me behind mum and stuff like that. And they usually start the session out on the ground. And then about an hour in, they all tap me on the shoulder and ask, ask me if they can ride the horse. You know, and those are the kids that I'm like, yes, absolutely. Let's, yeah. let's let you sit on the horse because you've asked me, you've approached yeah. me and you've made this decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas then I have other kids that, you know, 
their mother hasn't even fully gotten in the driveway yet. She's winding out her window to say hi to me and the kid's just got his head out as mum's driver window. Hey, hi, and really excited. Where are the horses? Can we ride the horses? I want to ride the horses. Where are the horses? It's like, well, kid, you're staying on the ground for this session. We're not riding the horses today because it's more important for you to stay on the ground and learn this. And that's why our... Um, our kids program is called from the ground up equus mm -hmm. because you're learning everything from the ground and then once you've figured that out then you can get on the horse mm -hmm. so each session can be totally independent yeah. and an individual based on whoever's with me at mm -hmm. the time you also mentioned when we first met that you offer horse yoga is that correct I do yoga with my yeah. horse. Yeah, um, I. Uh, you don't I've, offer it. No, I don't offer it yet because I yeah. haven't. I haven't really established it, but it is something that I would love to offer as a product in the future. Mm. Um, but I do it myself. Uh, as some of it's on the ground while my horses are standing around me. Mm -hmm. I just do your traditional yoga moves on the ground and stuff. But quite a few of them I can actually do on top of my horse, mm. on my horse's back, mm. which brings you a, um, a deeper connection and things like that. So it's, um, it's quite fun. The body position is just slightly different mm. because you're incorporating a whole nother energy into mm. the mix. So you then have to link your chakras and meridian lines with their chakras and meridian lines. But the horses release at the same time as I do, which is really nice. You know, I get a lot of yawning and snorting mm -hmm. and stuff like that because a horse that releases tends to breathe out quite deeply yeah. uh, it's they have huge lungs because mm -hmm. they're endurance animals but they're also mm -hmm. flight animals so mm -hmm. they can exhort they can keep a lot of air in their lungs and when they do that it's usually for a mm -hmm. fight or flight response um, and then once they're done with it they usually breathe out and let mm -hmm. the rest of that air go. But a tense horse won't breathe out. It'll hold it there because it, it needs to make sure that it has mm -hmm. that extra air for a run response, a flight or a fight mm -hmm. response. Moo, once she's had her baby, she'll be ideal for, mm -hmm. for horse yoga. And um, I'm hoping to train, train her up for that personally mm -hmm. and make her into my yogi horse. Oh, that sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We yeah. do a lot of meditation together, so yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. So, um, how do you prepare yourself before a session? So I'm big into grounding, um, bare feet on on earth or stone or grass, um, like no insulation from shoes or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, so, the way that um, the roots work in, in the soil and stuff like that mm. is kind of similar to the neural pathways in our brain. They all connect to each other. So all trees and all grass kind of connects to each other mm. on these, these root pathways. And um, those root pathways aren't like, you know, doing nothing. There's, there's a lot of energy going through them, you know, there's a lot of information going through them as well. So any of the information that, that the, the plant is getting from the outside world, wind or rain or anything like that, it's going down into the roots and they're sending those messages out to the other plants. So you get plants that defend each other because mm -hmm. they grow together mm -hmm. and plants that can grow together better mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So 
grounding yourself because your energy flows through you and your meridian lines, you can then discard energy that doesn't serve you anymore back into the earth mm. and it can be reused. And so grounding is one of, one of the, the main things I do. Um, positive affirmations or mm. mantras, so to speak, is, is one of the things I do. So usually when I get all the feeds made up and stuff and I get in my car, my mantra time is from driving my car from my bus down to the horses, which mm -hmm. takes about two and a half minutes to three minutes. And in that time, I will talk to myself um, with my thoughts or I will gather my thoughts about how I feel about today and mm -hmm. what my energy is doing. And I will try and raise my, my vibration um, mm -hmm. for my clients to be able to energy share off of me and I have to raise it high enough mm -hmm. so that I don't bottom out once mm -hmm. I've finished a session or if I've done two sessions in a row mm -hmm. if you know what I mean so there's a there's a lot of talking to myself like a crazy person <laughs> um, there's a lot of uh, positive talk mm -hmm. to myself as well there's lots of um, you are worthy and mm -hmm. you are accomplished and you are committed to your wealth and well-being um there's there's a lot of um breathing like very consciously being aware of my breath mm -hmm. and and the way it's affecting my body because i have a tendency to clench or hold mm -hmm. my breath like a horse does when mm -hmm. it's tense mm -hmm. um so yeah i have to i have to breathe it out a bit mm -hmm. when i go down there but um, the preparation time isn't as important as the um, the debriefing and the, and the downtime, so the afterwards. So um, because my clients all come from different backgrounds, some of them quite traumatic, mm -hmm. um, I have to be careful I don't share energy with them and receive energy I don't want in mm -hmm. return. So um, I do ground with my horses after my clients leave. Mm -hmm. um, I send them on their way. I never leave before my clients. I always leave after them. Mm -hmm. And I just stay with the horses. And generally Moo knows that I need this. So she, she sticks around and mm -hmm. she, she helps me with my grounding and she energy shares with me so that I can bring my energy levels mm -hmm. back out so I don't come home and throttle my boyfriend for <laughs> for nonsense yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah there is a lot of preparation mentally going into mm -hmm. each session um, every time and it is physically and mentally taxing and emotionally mm -hmm. taxing on you mm -hmm. when you do do a session with someone because um, I have had people in the past share negative energy with me that I've mm -hmm. held on to and it's manifested physically in my body mm -hmm. so um, yeah it's been a, a learning process yeah. but thankfully I studied um, massage therapy aromatherapy and Reiki right. and reflexology when I came out of high school so um, yeah I did have a good fair amount of experience on how to ground and yeah. how to protect myself from from certain energy yeah and I think that's so important especially Huge. in work like that yeah but even just in life, yeah. just in general, I think we talked about this mm -hmm. today, earlier today as well. You are the middle ground of your mm -hmm. top nine friends. So you are who you surround yourself with. Yeah. And if you surround yourself with majority positive people, then you're most likely going to be a positive person. But if you 
surround yourself with majority negative people, well, hey, I'm sorry, but you're likely a negative person without even realizing it. You're likely yeah. very cynical and and you probably have some destructive habits that, that could use some serious yeah. exploration. Um, and I was that person. I was, I was destructive. I was destroying my own life on purpose um, because I wasn't happy with it, I guess. Um, and that, that was a big learning curve for me to actually move past that I, and, and become the person that decided to be more aware mm -hmm. of who I wanted to be and, and who I was being and how I was affecting the world around me. Um, because I have a tendency to be very selfish um, uh, through years of, of um, dating the wrong people and having selfish boyfriends, I guess. I got <laughs> sick of, of them being the selfish ones and then accumulated that as my own personality. And, um, and it didn't go away, I guess. I never learned from that to then not be selfish. So now I am relearning that too, you know, and... At the moment, it's more just, again, trying to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, a, little, a little bit kinder or a little bit more compassionate or a little bit more onto it mm -hmm. or just a little bit cleaner around the house. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, things like that. And some days I'm good. Some days I'm better. And um, some days I take backslides, as we all do. It's, it's a journey. Um, it's not a race, mm -hmm. so I just try every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you. I mean, we're sitting right now in your bus, and mm. you live quite a simple uh, lifestyle, and that's really cool. And like, it wasn't always like that. No. What do you prefer about that lifestyle now, and why? Well, I guess the stark difference from mm. who I thought I was trying to be to really getting in touch with who I am, I guess. I, um, I think the quiet is probably number one, mm. the, the peaceful quietness of being out here. That's probably one of the main reasons why I like it out here, because mm -hmm. living in the city, I couldn't sleep with the lights and the noise. Mm. The convenience was nice, but it was also a bit of a trap, mm. um, because I was, you know, leaving work at, two in the morning, four in the morning, and going to the 24-hour pizza mm -hmm. place, which was super convenient. But then I gained like 26 kgs, you know, and, and where did my health go and, mm -hmm. and where did my priorities go? <laughs> and, um, yeah, drinking a lot in the city. That was the big thing was there's, there's nothing else to do but eat and drink in a city. And so that's all I did was eat, drink, and party. And, um, and it took a toll on me, not just physically with my health, but mentally um, I started to deteriorate. And um, slowly I kind of fell into a bit of a deep depression. Mm. Uh, I even made attempts on my life at one point uh, because I was... I guess not in touch with myself and I was mm. I was trying to drown out the noise mm -hmm. with more booze and more drugs and more people to socialize with um, and by noise I mean the noise in my head mm. <laughs> um, so yeah and that 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 got worse and worse until uh, 
committed a crime, got convicted and arrested. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a hard time. It was a really tough time. And I knew I was living in the wrong place. And, you know, I was living in the middle of town. And I had a bottle of Jameson's whiskey beside my bed that I'd wake up to every morning for hair of the dog. Um, just to get through my day, you know, and um, and then after work it was several different types of drinks and cocktails and underground bars and stuff like that and walk out at 11 a.m. with your sunglasses on and you wander home and yeah, it just, it became this vicious, destructive cycle and I guess, yeah, that, that whole stark difference to, to moving out here and, and finding a bit of quiet and a bit of time to actually be alone with my thoughts and to decide who I wanted to be. It made a huge difference in my happiness. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you take a look at me now, I don't really look that depressed, do I? I'm, I'm generally pretty <laughs> cheerful and happy and bubbly. Um, I, everybody has their down days, as, as we all do, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just work getting through them. but. Mm -hmm. It's work worth doing, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. and I guess I wouldn't really be here without that work being done. Mm -hmm. um, if I hadn't, I probably would have succeeded on those attempts on my life, and I uh, wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm very very glad that that the um, the difference between the two has has made a a real positive mm -hmm. change and a positive effect in my life because it means that I can start planning for the future and for a future that I, that I know I want because before that, I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted. If anybody asked me what I wanted, I'd just tell them, oh, I'm, I want to be a bartender. Well, you, you already are. So, um, yeah, so it was yeah, quite, quite nice to now have aspirations and dreams for the future mm -hmm. with, with a partner. So um, what are your plans and dreams for the future? Oh, we're gonna go big. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we have um, we have quite a few in the in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, there's of course the Equus Liberation Limited business with the horses and the equine therapy and the consultancy. Um, but then there's the breeding program with my stallion, so that's Equus Sport Horses, mm -hmm. and then um, there's also the trekking business, we want to create a fully immersive five-day trekking experience. Um, we have a, a station interested in mm -hmm. collaborating with us locally. And hopefully in January next year, we'll be able to, to open that up to um, requests and things like that, see, gauge people's interests and in the products mm. so um, yeah we're hoping to do that fully catered and um, my partner being an ex-chef for 10 years helps that he can write the menus <laughs> and and stuff like that and um, me having my guiding experience in the past with the horses it's it's an ideal mm. situation for me because I can just meet my clients on Monday, teach them about their horses, match them up with the right horses, mm -hmm. and then off we go for five days into the back country and the bush and the lakes, the rivers. Um, yeah, it, it should be an incredible experience and I'm, I'm hoping that we can, we can work towards mm -hmm. it faster and faster, but um, the universe mm -hmm. keeps providing, so we just 
keep working towards it. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we want to become fully eco-friendly, self-sustainable on our own property and branch out from there. Um, so having our own property and our own land as, as our hub and um, building a, an agro-tourism type business where people will come and experience what we do mm. on a daily basis and stuff like that. And, um, and really learn a lot, learn how to be a little more self-sustainable, how to, how to grow things in their own home, even if they live in a 23rd story of an apartment building in Auckland City, you know, they can grow their own herbs and, and tomatoes and, and help reduce their food costs and learn what products are, are plastic free and, and, and what's better for you and not just the environment but for you as well and yeah we want to try and go fully um eco with everything and biodiversity with the horses as well because i'm the big dream is for our property to be fully sustainable using equine permaculture and um this is this is not a new concept it's it's a it's been around for a while um, but what it does is it creates biodiversity in the soil and um, and using smart grazing systems and using the animals to your advantage. You can actually like, like increase your yield tenfold each mm -hmm. year. You can reduce your feed costs for your animals and mm -hmm. your land can become drought proof and far more profitable. And um, and a lot of people are getting into this at the moment. It's it's this this new new wave, new age, mm -hmm. of of greenies coming out into the world, and you know the hippies are taking over. You know we got we got knocked back in the '60s and the '70s, but mm -hmm. it's it's 2020 now. It's a whole brave new world. Um, so yeah, we hope to we hope to affect it positively. I guess is our biggest aspiration. And we always say to each other constantly, if we end up dirt poor with just a couple of horses and and some and, and some other animals and we grow our own food and we hunt our own food and and we do everything ourselves and we kind of a dirt poor will be the happiest people in the world mm. you know, we'll be rich in life and experience rather than just monetarial things mm. it would be an amazing thing to accomplish for us even if we just had our own land which is a near impossible mm. dream nowadays. <laughs> Nothing is impossible. <laughs> Nothing is impossible. No, you are correct. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you'll make it. I don't know. I have a good feeling. <laughs> I have a good feeling too. <laughs> really good feeling too. So um, where can people come and have like a session or how can they get in contact with you? So um, we're operating fully on Facebook under Equus, that's E-Q-U-U-S, Liberation Limited. And um, you can book online. You can actually check out our services online, our price listings up there. You can also get quotes online as well. Mm. Um, all from the Facebook app. And uh, yeah, we're, we're slowly building our website. Uh, we're located in Hawia, just outside of Wanaka. You can contact us anytime. Mm. We are here 24-7. Mm. This is my full-time job, hanging out with horses and people. So we're available always and uh, people can book with us mm. and let us know what kind of experience they want.
and we'll do our best to cater. That's amazing. My last two questions. According to Two Homes, the name of the podcast, as home stands for the beautiful nature and itself as our home. What are your personal go-to tips when it comes to how to love and protect nature and how to love and protect ourselves? Nature's a tough one um, because we, as a human race, have a responsibility to protect it. So um, I think you go to protect nature is to immerse yourself in it, learn more about it every day, learn what makes it tick, learn what affects it the most and what affects mm. it the least, and, um, and think consciously about what you're going to do to affect it too. The home part of yourself, to protect that, is a difficult thing to do. To protect yourself from everything we experience in life, from all the trauma, I don't, I, I don't think you can protect yourself from it. I think it is, it is there to be experienced, but what you can do is be consciously aware of who you are and who you want to be and what direction you want to take. Not because somebody else said you were supposed to or because society deems it normal, but to actually take a chance to sit alone with your thoughts mm. and be by yourself and understand who you are as a person without your Facebook page or your brand name clothes or your pretty home and your fantastic car and that perfect boyfriend that you found because you had a listed criteria of who you wanted, you know, um, step away from it. And, and the best way you can protect yourself and step away from it is to step straight back into nature. Mm -hmm. So I guess two homes is, is one in itself really, to, to protect your nature and to protect yourself is to immerse yourself in both. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. You're Beautiful welcome. words. <laughs> yeah, with that in mind, thank you for your time, your amazing words. Um, thank for you. For your work, what Cheers. you do. <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you for coming out here, Julie. I really appreciate you guys coming and visiting me and, and checking out what we do here. Mm. It's been so fun having you and, and I know I know you guys from a bar of soap and just randomly walked onto a property <laughs> that you happened to be on at the same day but uh, the universe works in mysterious mm. ways and I feel like um, you were meant to be here today to meet mm. my horses and, and see what we do and, and help us grow. So yeah. thank and you so much for coming. Thank you so much. <laughs> it helped me to grow too, definitely. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>